Bigley and Murata. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bigley Blast. Not that long ago, Rob Manfred was a piñata, a punchline, the laughing stock of Major League Baseball, and oh, how the narrative has changed, because after one day of baseball in America, it is clear the commissioner and his pitch clock might have just saved a dying sport. Ten of the 15 games yesterday lasted less than three hours. Two of them lasted two hours and 14 minutes. All of them moved at a pace we have not seen in years, electrifying baseball fans and a great number of casual fans who just don't have the time for a timeless sport. In fact, most everybody seemed to adore the changes, except for Diamondbacks ace Zach Gallen, who hit a wall in the fifth inning and clearly struggled with his loss of control. Not control as in the ability to throw balls and strikes. Control as in the ability to play the game at his his pace on his terms, something baseball will no longer tolerate. Now, this is not an ideal way to start a season, and on a day when a handful of frontline pitchers dominated in this new environment, it kind of speaks to really poor preparation from everybody involved. Now, hopefully, this is just a hiccup. Hopefully, the new rules and that relentless pitch clock will not be kryptonite for the ascending career of Zach Gallen. and let's hope what saves Major League Baseball doesn't end up destroying our ace and the upstart hopes of the 2023 Diamondbacks. All right, today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW. Make luxury attainable. Find them online at ChapmanBMW.com. Good start. Um, a little bit of a um, shaky, shaky ending. I thought he had some really good stuff um, early in the game. And then there were some just miscues in, in advantage counts where I felt like he had good enough stuff to put hitters away, and he, he was unable to do that. All right, we're going to say a couple things right out of the bat here. Um, Opening day is one of the great moments of overreaction in sports. We know that, right? Everything is just absurdly over. It's like week one in the NFL. Win or lose. Win or lose, it doesn't matter, but that's part of the territory. First impressions matter. Opening day matters. It's a day when Major League Baseball transcends, which is why we're spending so much time talking about it today. So what what does this mean in the context of Zach Gallen and the Diamondbacks? I'll tell you this much. Going into last night's game, I watched a pregame show show that, that Jody Jackson did and, and others at Ballet Sports. It was very, very well done. And they had an interview with uh, Tori Lavello. And Tori, Tori is one of these guys who kind of really admitted that this has been a struggle. It's been a struggle getting our guys to kind of operate in the confines of this pitch clock. And I thought, ooh, I don't, I, this is on a day when all I hear is excitement and all I see is baseball crisp. Boom, boom, boom. Why is the manager talking like this? And then we saw Zach Allen, who came out, had a dominant first inning, sailed through two innings, but the moment things started getting away from him, that relentless pace of the pitch clock took him apart. At least it appeared that way. I I would think that most pitchers don't have a problem with the pitch clock when there's nobody on base. Things are going well. When you're doing well, when you're ahead of the count, stuff like that. It's when there's two guys on or you're down two runs 
that's when you usually try to control the game if you're a pitcher by stepping off, yeah. by looking down, by throwing the first base a bunch of times. When you take that away, it's interesting to see how the different pitchers will react. Like you were saying, not a good start for no, Gallon. No, because there's a lot of pitchers in baseball who did just the opposite. Uh, shut up, Garrett Cole. He he took the opportunity and ran with There was a lot of guys who took the ball and said, you know what? I'm going to take this the, this new pitch clock and use it to make the hitters really uncomfortable. I'm going to go at a pace that puts them on the defensive. That's what you do. Because, first of all, you have no choice. The pitch first clock is not going right. anywhere. Right. Deal with it. Yes. You must turn the tables on the hitter and not let the hitter control the pace because the pitch clock, again, is relentless. It is. So you must use it to your advantage. Yes. And, Vic, this is where... And I, again, I, I think this is what you're saying. You're watching the pregame show, and when the manager is, he's not complaining about it, but he's he's talking about how it's become an issue. Yeah. And again, if that's the sentiment in the clubhouse, now you see it manifested on the field mm-hmm. with Zach Gallen when it kind of came apart and the wheels came off. Zach, uh, Zach Gallen couldn't quite get it together, and that pitch clock didn't stop. Yeah, and he could not control the game and play it on no. his terms right. and on his pace. Yep, and the wheels fell off, and he couldn't get out of the fifth. That's inning. right. That's right. And this is this is why this is to me this is something that you you've got to get this in lockdown. You have got to embrace this to the point where this is not between your ears. And because they were not prepared for it, and it, it makes me wonder because if they spent the entire spring complaining about it internally, well, this sucks, and this is bulk, you know what, and this is not right, and Howie, this is crap. And I can't believe Manfred did this and yada, yada, yada. Then, boom, of course, once adversity strikes, they're ill-prepared for the moment. And there's a lot of hitters who do not like it. There were hitters, Manny Machado among them, who really objected early on. Objecting to this is a a, a dead-end street, folks, because to, to his credit, the commissioner of baseball, as I said in the blast, a guy that was roundly just ridiculed at every turn, this is a dramatic change for Major League Baseball, and it's going to take some real um, strength of convic- conviction to uphold these rules. I hope they do. Because you said that, like, you know, there's people who are not adjusting to it. They better get used to it. For a decade, hitters never adjusted to the shift. They never adjusted to it, yep. so they had to change the rules. It's true. I'm hoping that it doesn't become such a thing where you know pitchers or hitters are complaining about pace of play, and baseball's like, all right, okay, we'll we'll adjust it, change it back. Because I, for yeah. the good of the game, you're right. It, this was everyone was talking about it. Everybody under three Everybody. hours, two, under two hours and forty minutes, under two and a half hours. I thought it was great. Get I the, thought it was unbelievable. Get the ball and throw it. Pitch Rely it. Rely on your stuff. Get the ball and throw it. Don't do not do this mental dance every a pitch. You don't need to do it. They never used to do it. Back in my day. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think the outfielders so, should start leaving their gloves on the field. Yeah, there like you go. I love that idea. I love that idea. D-backs were also distracted by the LED lightings. I, I, I think this was not a good day for our baseball team. Hopefully today will be a little bit better. Uh, the Suns tonight. Tim Rings talking to people in Denver. And Might not be much of a showdown tonight. We'll tell you about that when we come back. Tim Ring filling in for Vinny. I'm Dan Bickley. You're listening to Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata mornings. Suns run to the playoffs coverage. Brought to you by Canvas Annuity. Score up to 6.25% on your retirement savings. 
Welcome back, everybody. Dan Bickley, Tim Ring, a basketball game in Footprint Center tonight. The Denver Nuggets at 51-25. and 25. They are leading the Western Conference. Their lead is dwindling just a little bit. What kind of effort are they going to put on the basketball court tonight? This is a fascinating conversation for two reasons. Number one, last night the the Nuggets got blown out of the gym. Nikola Jokic did not play. Jamal Murray did. Jamal Murray played 36 minutes. The feeling out of the game was Jamal Murray is going to tap out at tonight's game, seeing that it's the second of a back-to-back. The question becomes whether Nikola Jokic then tries to carry the Nuggets without Jamal Murray. Um, Tim Ring's been talking to people in Denver, and they don't even know know what's going to go on. This could be a game in which Denver just takes the L and moves on. Is this a psychological thing? Um, If you've covered basketball for years and years and years, as Tim and I have done and as many people have done, you know that that coaches play this game. They're like, okay, you know what? We're not at full strength, strength. It's better for us to not compete and take the L, then try hard and lose, then deal with the psychological shrapnel and ramifications of it. Greg Popovich used to do this to the Suns all the time. All the time. You have to ask yourself, though, is it a sign of a weak-minded team if you're thinking about trying to ramp up their psychological sturdiness by not putting them in a position of competing and losing tonight. Right. We don't yeah, think, I don't know. We, we don't think we can beat the Suns yeah. if we're at, at full strength. We don't think we can win this game tonight, so we're not going to let the Suns get the mental edge mm-hmm. coming up yeah. you know, a couple weeks before the playoffs begin. Because like, it's what is, a what Friday is night in Phoenix, the Suns had a day off, the Nuggets did not, They get the Kevin Durant, Durant mania, they might be thinking over there, all right, our chances aren't very good to be good. I don't know. I don't know. The, pro- the problem is, and Eddie Johnson talked about this, and Bick, you and I did at the 6 o'clock hour earlier this morning, is the Nuggets lead for that number one seat in the West is down to three games. Mm-hmm. Now, they have... Six games remaining, but the Grizzlies are starting to breathe down their necks. So now, if they if they're resting guys, you know they take an L tonight. Mm-hmm. The Grizzlies win a game. That thing's down to two with five to play. That's getting a little hairy now. It is. It's getting a little hairy. No, no, you're so absolutely you, now right you're starting it. to play with fire. Mm-hmm. It is funny though, also because there was such talk when uh, Embiid sat the other day. And didn't want to play, you know, didn't want to play against Jokic, was avoiding him, was dodging him, didn't want to, and now oh, Denver might be doing the same thing where. Right. That's a typical yeah. fan base, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, oh, Embiid doesn't want to face us. The, the MVP race should be over now. Yo, yo, Embiid, Embiid is too scared to face Jokic. I wonder, I wonder if Denver, what they think about the Suns, because they have a lot of the same players. As two years ago, mm-hmm. the famous Suns and Four, where it wasn't just a blowout in the series, but a psychological defeat, mm-hmm. where they got into Jokic's head, when they and got into the fan base's head, backside, <laughs> yeah. where where a face got into one of uh, the heads of a uh, right, or a, a punch got in that, but. You wonder if if some of those guys are still thinking about the Suns and saying, like, you know how we sort of talked about, like, are the Mavericks 
in the Suns' head from last year. Mm-hmm. I wonder from two years ago if the Suns are in Denver's head. I, I think it's fair to wonder because that is the flip side of playing that game. You've got to be very, very content that your team um, is strong enough to, to kind of to, to engage in that kind of stuff. I Look, it's, it's interesting to me because we all want a showdown tonight at Footprint Center, at least I do. And, and you also want to see – the people who follow the Suns closely think that, that the Suns were, were a little bit different defensively against the Timberwolves than they've been, that they were trying to be a little more disruptive than they've – playing a little more aggressive on the defensive side of the basketball. Chris Paul did. Chris Paul did. Devin Booker did at times. Cutting, yes. jumping into the passing yes. lanes. More hands and more, lanes. Yes, and yes. Tipping passes. Right. Chris Paul played that game the other night on both ends of the floor – with a playoff-like intensity, vintage Chris Paul. It, it, yeah, say. for yes, I agree with that. I he do really agree did. With that. Yeah, he did. He was very engaged on both ends of the court. He really did. I also thought Monty Williams coached that game with a playoff-like rotation, where he kept that bench short, mm-hmm. and guys like Ish Wainwright, Jock Landale, Damian Lee, and Landry Shamit did not get off the bench. Yeah. And yes, and that's so I think it's because we're getting to be about that time. And, and there's a fascinating conversation also to be had. And we're going to do it a little bit now and a little bit later. It, it really comes down. I think we all know at the very top one through four, the Suns are, have, have got the one through four pieces to win a championship. OK, Booker. KD, that's about as good of a one-two punch as you're going to find. Chris Paul with what he's got left and what what this new iteration of the Suns does for him, and then of course Da and just his his you know his physical gifts. But are the do they have tier two guys? Do they have enough tier two guys to to, to complete this thing? Do they need enough tier two guys with the top four being as good as they are? It's a fascinating thing. It really is. I'm not sure they have any tier two guys. No, it's I, I mean, and I mean that with all due respect to their role players, mm-hmm. because they got some fantastic role players. How could you not love Josh Okogi? Mm-hmm. I mean, what he brings. But he's to not the a table. tier two guy. There, nobody, nobody in their right mind would say you are a tier two yeah. NBA. And, and they don't have a Cam Johnson coming off the bench. That's this what year. I mean. Like Cam, Cam Johnson's a tier two guy. You mm-hmm. could even make the case Mikel Bridges when he was here was a tier two he guy. Was. Yeah, Jay Crowder. He, Right? Yeah. They kind of go, they kind of go, you can make a case DeAndre Ayton at times is a tier two guy. Like, not an all-star, but pretty mm-hmm. darn good, right? Yeah, right. They go kind of, the Suns kind of go tier one to kind of tier three. That's, I think and that's it, a very accurate and des- and it, and description. It could, and it could be the difference between them, you know, making the Western Conference Finals or even the NBA Finals, but not winning a championship ultimately and, and, this year. Yeah, and keep in mind, this is not a, this is not a, um, this is not a criticism of James Jones and roster composition per se. There have been mistakes, clearly. Um, but, but in terms of roster composi- composition, Heading into the playoffs, we all have to recognize that Matt Ishbia was the driving force behind the trade for Kevin Durant. That he came to town and 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 basically probably gave marching orders: No, you will trade Mikael Bridges because we are getting Kevin Durant and we're doing it now. Okay, that that's what it feels like to me. And I think in the end, that is going to be the smart play because I think the Suns have a real shot to do this this year. Had they not made the trade, who knows? Now, people in retrospect, as EJ pointed out, you look at what Mikael Bridges is doing in Brooklyn and you go, well, what he's given Brooklyn is the same thing KD has given Phoenix. Yeah, but no. Yes, but no. 
different players, and when you get down to playoff basketball and playoff possessions and all that, um, it, Kevin Durant is going to bring something that this team sorely needed the last of couple course. years. Uh, of course. But, but, see, yeah. but people can't see that. I know they can't, but they just look at the stats. Oh, 30 points. Right. They could have just kept Mikhail. Yes. I mean, when you add up Mikhail Bridges' points and Cam Johnson's points and Jay Crowder's points, there were a darn close to a thousand points scored by those three players before KD made his home debut in Phoenix. That's a huge number. So all those nights when McHale was blowing up, yeah, it makes an impact. People go, oh man, we could have had that. He was... Yeah, no. No. It's more complicated than that. No. no right. No, so, no. The, the, the only anti-trade argument can be made is in eight years when Bridges is still playing and Durant is and know, if on we a get, boat. And if we get Stugatz out of this. <laughs> and we right. have Stugatz. And we got Stugatz. And Bridges is still yeah. putting up 25 right. and Durant then, is then on a yacht lose. somewhere. Then we lose. Then, yeah. Th- yeah then, it, then you say, ah, maybe you shouldn't have done that. Yeah. But right now it's still absolutely the right decision. Absolutely. Yeah. And, no. and even if they don't win it this year, you just got to refortify, again, with our Tier 2 analogy, you, you, you refortify the roster with better Tier 2 guys. That's what you do. And you go after it again next year. That's what you do. So then the, then the big question becomes, is James Jones going to be that guy, or is the length of this playoff run going to determine that? Uh-huh. <laughs> Coming up on the other side, we're going to talk some Arizona Cardinals, some NFL draft, all things pigskin. Coming up, Arizona Cardinals. He's Tim Ring. I'm Dan Bickley. You're listening to Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata mornings. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Love the kid, love the character, love the way he played at, at Alabama. He, gives, he really gives you everything he has. He, he wasn't interested at all in NIL deals. Nothing as a freshman, sophomore. He said, hey, that's time for that. We'll worry about that. I'm, I'm all business. He wasn't interested in any, any uh, you know, thing that was going to uh, take him away from his focus on football. And this year, teams knew they had to obviously negate him. So he was shipped. He was obviously going to be contained a little bit better than he was, where he was not at all contained in 2021. Uh, this year, uh, you know, the stats dropped. I, the thing that I will say about, about Will Anderson Jr., when people say he's going to be elite, so elite means Miles Garrett or Von Miller in that league, Nick Bosa. I, I didn't see that at Alabama, but hey, with his work ethic, you know, he's going to be a sponge. He's going to listen to everything that defensive line coach tries to teach him. Uh, right now, he doesn't have the bend or the explosiveness of those guys. Can he develop the bend? We'll see, uh, but he's going to be clearly you know, one of the top guys in this draft. I have him second on the board right now, and Jalen Carter, with the character concerns, you could argue Will Anderson Jr. is the best player in this draft. That the voice of Mel Kuyper Jr. talking all things NFL draft of immense interest to the Cardinals and their fan base who sit with the number three pick in the draft, especially after Anthony Richardson's pro day yesterday, because now Monty Austin Ford as a first time brand new general manager, you've got to really kind of uh, nail what the market is and who is thinking what, because you've got the Colts sitting here at four, the Colts need a quarterback, you've got the Lions sitting at six. You got the Seahawks at five. And there are people who wonder, are the Seahawks looking at Anthony Richardson as the final piece in this immediate rebuild that they're doing? Are, are the Lions looking at Anthony Richardson as the guy that can take them to the next level? And if and if this is starting to happen, you've got an opportunity, if you're Monty Austin, for it to really, really play this leverage game. But it's hard to get to the bottom of what is what. Now, you see Seattle head coach Pete Carroll back to taking shirtless selfies 
with prospects like he did with DK Metcalf back in the day. <laughs> well, he did that with Anthony Richardson, and people are like, are they really looking for a quarterback? You, you, you never know. If you've got Geno Smith and you've got Jared Goff, are you really going, oh, that's my guy for the next five, ten years? Of course not. What would it take to remove yourself from the Will Anderson sweepstakes, if you will, mm-hmm. drop down with the Seahawks or, or Lions, would you need a first round pick next year? Would you would would a, would would a pick swap obviously this year and right. a second round pick mm-hmm. do it for you? It all Dan Bickley's the yeah. GM. Okay, what, what moves you out of Will uh, Anderson? I would say move from the city immediately. Go find another city and a team to cheer for. <laughs> first of all, <laughs> secondarily, I, I I don't know if I can put a number to that because I will say this: there's you know this there's charts on the NFL draft. There's values, point values assigned every draft pick, and 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 when you start looking at trading down, trading up, there's actually a formula that kind of guides your way. So the idea of like blatantly ripping off someone. Either way, it's not. It's really hard to do with the point values, the way they do this thing. But to me, I, I think it really comes down to this. If you can get that kind of return from the team right behind you, you're in great, great, great shape. Because now you've got the leverage to, to go left or go right or, or whatever. So to me, the best thing to do would be to strike a trade with the Colts. Now, this Lamar Jackson piece that's sitting out there is also interesting. And this Lamar Jackson story is starting to get nuts because it's starting to carry on racial overtones. There are a lot of people who are going, wait a minute, explain to me why a 26-year-old superstar in his prime is attracting no interest from across the league. Who's been an MVP? Who's been an MVP? Who plays the game, and and, and where it's getting racial in terms of overtones is the response is uh, Arthur Blank is one who said this, oh, well, you know, he's been hurt a lot. He plays a dangerous style of football. So does Josh Allen. And Josh Allen had no problem getting paid. And no one's talking about the style. Well, maybe they are talking about his safety. But this Lamar Jackson piece, if if no one is touching Lamar Jackson because the owners are colluding against the third rail of a 100% guaranteed contract. It's collusion. Yes. That's then, what it is. Then this, then this draft pick the Cardinals have is of immense value to other people because there are not real in-the-moment alternatives for teams that need a quarterback. Hello. The, well, if the Colts, no, I'm, I'm I thought we lost it there. No, I'm thinking. No, I'm, I'm thinking now. If the Colts, so Albert Breer brought this up. Now, this to me, this is interesting. The Colts, if the Colts did want to sign Lamar Jackson, but they did not want to give up the fourth pick in the draft, they could essentially not pick a quarterback at four, go through the draft, and then. Sign Lamar Jackson to the offer sheet. And then you are essentially giving up two first-round draft picks in 24 and 25. Mm-hmm. And presumably, if you have Lamar Jackson as your quarterback, your first-round pick in 24 is considerably lower in the first round than the number four mm-hmm. pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting. Well, Because it- if you sign him to the offer sheet now and the Ravens don't match it, you are giving up the fourth overall pick in the yeah. draft. So this is what's fascinating to me is, okay, Carolina's moved up to number one. All right. Is it clear who they're taking? Because the Bryce Young weight 
height issue has been exacerbated by Kyler Murray's struggles in Arizona. If you are picking number one overall, there's got to be a safety net there for you. It's hard if you've got number one overall to take the real risky guy, right? Isn't that good logic? Yeah. So if you're Carolina, it, it kind of unless you're really in love with with Bryce Young, you're taking C.J. Stroud. They're taking C.J. Stroud. Yeah, I, I, so I, I am he's convinced gone at of that. One. Now, if you're Houston, uh, Houston has been uh, rumored to be enamored with Bryce Young, but are they getting scared? Are they getting scared by everything that Anthony Richardson has and not looking everything Bryce Young does have, which is great game film. No, they're going to take Bryce Young. Okay. The Texans are going to take okay. Bryce Young. All right. They're, 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 going to, they're going to be safe. Yeah. They might end up being sorry, mm-hmm. but they're going to be safe. So now here, let me, let me, let me yeah, jump in ahead. real quick, though. Yeah. If you're the Colts, and Vinny and I actually talked about this last week. If you're the Colts, you know the Cardinals are not taking a quarterback. So you must be convinced before you trade up and give other draft capital to the Cardinals or even give a player mm-hmm. like like a center, perhaps, mm-hmm. to the Cardinals. Like a Ryan Kelly. Like a Ryan Kelly, mm-hmm. which the Cardinals would desperately Absolutely. need and take. That's why the Colts are a great trade partner. But, but, the, but the Colts need to be convinced that somebody else is in play Indeed. for that third pick to Indeed. take Anthony Richardson. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, And you might have two teams right behind them that do, or you may not. They're the Raiders. But what I don't understand... Well, the other... You cannot have teams love both Anthony Richardson and Will Levis either. Because then no one's going to trade up. They'll just say, like, I will take whoever doesn't get traded. I don't think anybody is going to love... This is just me. I don't think anybody's going to love Will Levis in the top ten. But that's just me. But let me ask you guys something. If... If you're Chris Ballard in the Colts, mm-hmm. and, and, and Monty Ford is trying to trying to sell you a bill of goods that, oh yeah, listen, the Raiders are, are ready to make a deal right now to move up to three, Chris. So you better you better you better you better make your offer right now, or mm-hmm. or or Dave Ziegler and the Raiders are moving up to take Richardson right now. If you're Chris Ballard, don't you just? I mean, I, I'm not going to surprise you guys. I've never been a GM. What? Um, what? I know. What are you doing? Get out of here. <laughs> if you're Chris Ballard, don't you just call Dave Ziegler and say, hey, Dave, is this true? Are you guys ready to make a deal with the card? Like, what doesn't it? No, because why would the Raiders tell you that? They say, oh, yeah, that's true. You should probably offer better and take our spot. <laughs> no, but, but, if, but if you're not in play, wouldn't you just tell him that, though? Like, what? Maybe. It, listen, not in the NFL, and I know this for a fact because I've talked to guys about this, the, the flow of that kind of information, it really depends on how good of a friend the other GM is right. and if you owe him a favor. It's one of the two. But it's possible that Ziegler would be like, friend, no, no, yeah. no, Monty, oh, Monty, Monty's, no, no, Chris, Monty, Monty's, Monty's full of crap. We're not, we're not doing that. Yeah, and, all right, thanks. And, and thanks, what's even worse, appreciate it. What's even worse is if you ask, and I know this because I've been told this myself as well, if you ask somebody for information like that off the record as a friendly heads up, help me out here, if that person is aligned with the person you're competing with and you don't know it, you might get disinformation on return. Okay. It's, it's a real dicey game. It really, really is. I hope they get this thing right. This Anthony Richardson thing is turning out to be about as nutty as I thought it was going to be. All right, legacy. How much does it matter to KD? Does it really not matter at all? We'll talk about that coming back. Tim Ring, Dan Bickley, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.
Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bitly and Murata Mornings. Suns run to the playoffs coverage. Brought to you by Canvas Annuity. Score up to 6.25% on your retirement savings. <laughs> no, I mean, look at my life. Somebody cursed me? <laughs> you can't say that, though, man. When I leave this arena now... My life looked pretty good, but it's just part of the game, man. It is what it is. Um, it's unfortunate. You know, I wish I'd have kept. I felt like I, I was going to play 82 games this year, um, but it is what it is. I, I learned how to conquer different parts of the game. Rehab is one of them, so I just try to do my best in that and come back and pick up where I left off. All right, if you heard the loud, obnoxious laughter at the beginning of that cut, that would have been me. That would have been me. That was a question posed to Kevin Durant post-game after his debut at Footprint Center. He was asked, do you, do you kind of feel cursed with everything you've been through? And he just laughed. He said, have you seen my life, man? You're suggesting that I am cursed? And I thought, I like this guy. I like that. Um, so t- what's interesting to me now, Kevin Durant and the Phoenix Suns, they're 4-0. and They've yet to lose a game together, and yet they've only really been good I don't know, a game and some change, okay? They've made it look easy. They haven't always played the best opponents. Uh, We certainly haven't seen the best of this crew yet. And I'm not not sure what you're going to get from the Nuggets tonight, but I've got a sneaking suspicion we're going to see something really good from Kevin Durant in terms of a a blow-up game. He's coming off a game in which he missed 13 shots, which is as many as he missed his first three games combined. No, and... That's the thing about Kevin Durant missing those 10 games, Bick. And I, I know the sentiment was, well, as long as Durant is back for the playoffs, you know, the Suns will be fine and that's all that matters. You know, and I never really subscribed to that. Now, it is what it is. You couldn't change it and you had to deal with it and you're going to have to make the best of it and get him back as quickly as you could, you could. And hopefully he was back for a few games before the playoffs and that's exactly where we're at and that's exactly what we, we got. But the, the fact that Durant missed those games, first of all, it removed any hope or chance the Suns could get the two seed or the three seeds so that went out the window but it also it it eliminated uh, a really a good solid chunk of opportunity for the Suns uh, to gel and to learn how to play with Durant mm-hmm. and to really be firing on the most optimum cylinders uh, heading into the postseason mm-hmm. with this group playing together as uh, one whole unit. So those opportunities were lost. Yes. And unfortunately now it's game five with Durant and I don't know what the reason was Durant struggled the other night. Maybe it was nerves. I think it was. Maybe he's not quite 100% yet, Big. That could be too. And the other reason is maybe Maybe the Timberwolves really have a couple of good on-the-ball defenders. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Durant didn't have a whole lot of space. And again, I think maybe that was the ankle as well as a couple of good on-the-ball defenders. But boy, you know, when, when, when Anderson blocked his shot in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter, that was, a, that was a little ugly. Yeah, that was uh, a, yeah. That was, that was, that was a, like, yeah, really? That, that just happened? Uh, whatever the case may be, right. uh, this continues to be a work in progress uh, for the Phoenix Suns. And they've got to figure it out on the fly, and they've got to figure it out pretty darn quick because no matter what happens in the playoffs they're gonna have a pretty tough formidable opponent right out of the gate we can all agree on that yeah right yes we can all agree on that so so to me uh, a lot of what you said makes a lot of sense um the other thing that i think is going to help the phoenix suns when we talk about pressure of what this is going to feel like and and, and we know that the pressure of the postseason affects teams differently and, and not every team reacts well to it um, I, I think the Phoenix Suns are going to have a target on their back, not just because that they're that, that they're the team in the black hats, if you will, but they're also a team that that really shriveled 
under the spotlight last year. And if you want to raise people's suspicions in the NBA, perform your worst at the most important time. And and, and that's a, a real heavy thing to carry into the postseason where I think Kevin Durant really helps this team, the Devin Bookers, the, the the DeAndre Aytons, the guys who were part of last year's playoff disintegration, Chris Paul, is that Kevin Durant is people. The national media are obsessed with everything he does. His legacy is a fixation point of the national media. Was again. Uh, yesterday in a story that came out in The Athletic is again today with the hot take shows that have talked about Kevin Durant's viewpoint on his legacy. My point is this. Every success and failure of the Phoenix Suns in the upcoming playoff is going to be filtered through Kevin Durant first. And that is who everyone's going to focus on. That should that should take a good deal of pressure off everybody else. Including Chris Paul. Including Chris Paul. Maybe Can't pri- win maybe in the playoffs. primarily Chris Paul. Yeah. Chris Paul's legacy is certainly in question in the National Basketball Association. This guy's been fighting that forever. I mean, it's hard to believe, but I mean, there, until Chris Paul made the finals, there was questions about Chris Paul. I mean, could this guy even get to a conference final? Because his entire career he was fighting that. Mm-hmm. This guy could barely win a series in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And he finally got that monkey off his back later in his career, much, much later uh, in his career. So these sons, are they're, they're fighting demons now. Devin Booker's only played in the playoffs two times. It's mm-hmm. hard to believe, right? Yeah. So Kevin Durant now is here, and the Suns obviously are going to come out of the gates with a very formidable, formidable opponent uh, when the playoffs open. And there's a lot on the line. And the way that well, playoffs ended last year uh, for, for Devin Booker and Chris Paul. And Vicky, go back, and you're right, they disintegrated. But again, you look back, the health of that basketball team, how many guys were sick? How, how many did, 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 did somebody have COVID? They did. did multiple yeah. guys no, have COVID. Multi- yes. Okay, listen. Here, if, if we want to lay it out again for people who haven't been paying attention, last year during the NBA playoffs, there was a whole slew of things that happened. Something went down. Uh, a lot of things went down in terms of the interrelational inside the locker room. I've had no less than three sources tell me that Chris Paul and Monty Williams got into it on some level. Okay, and then there's the Jay Crowder element and what happened, what went down with him to the point where, no, you just stay over there. We really don't want you coming back and being part of this. Then there was the covid thing. Sam Amick reported a lot of us heard that this went down. That happened during the series. Devin Booker's relationship with Kendall Jenner blew up during the playoffs for the first time. There was a lot of fur flying. A lot of it. So to me, I've I've been very, very measured in how much I have hammered or criticized Devin Booker and Chris Paul for what went down in last year's playoffs. But to the rest of the NBA, those two guys have a lot to prove this year. They really do. They really do. Because that was that game seven last year. And, and again, I mean, you don't want to start picking scabs. But given given the venue. The what was at stake and what was on the that was that was maybe one of the worst playoff performances in the history of the NBA. It was, and and for it and for the and when you go back and you consider how the Suns reacted afterwards, all the clues are there. That this was nothing, very little to do with basketball. The way that Monty Williams, oh, it was just a bad night. <laughs> you don't have bad nights in Game Seven at home in playoff series. 
That, bad nights are not tolerated at that point in time. And, and the way they just all kind of, none of them acted all that surprised. They couldn't, they couldn't make layups. They were throwing the ball out of bounds. Mm-hmm. They were throwing the balls to the other team. Yep. I mean, it, was, it, was, it was bizarre. It was bizarre. And so all of that needs atonement. And KD is going to take a lot of focus off that because people are hyper-focusing on his legacy and not those of Devin Booker and Chris Paul, as you pointed out. All right, 9 o'clock hour on a Friday. It's always a great hour. Bye. It's the Jared Carlin hour, Yay! everyone. Not yet. Sarah Cazell hour All right, start. Sarah first, then it's the Jared Carlin yeah. hour. You're listening to Arizona Sports, <laughs> the local sports leader.